Welcome to another edition of Beretta Flores Podcast, where we explore our midlife experience. Where are you in your experience today? So in today's episode, I'd like to go into what emotions we experience when we go through a personal or societal crisis. And those emotions tend to be feeling loneliness or isolation during crisis, feeling shame during crisis, and feeling anger or frustration during crisis. And by crisis, it could be something personal such as a divorce or breakup, losing a job, a death in the family, or it could be societal crisis, meaning social unrest or upheaval, a pandemic such as COVID-19, a traumatic event such as September 11th or the Boston Marathon bombing. So specifically going to go into both personal crisis and societal crisis and the emotions involved, as well as how we can take those emotions and learn from them and use them as a turning point or an opportunity for change in our lives. So first off, what does it mean to be in crisis? What exactly is the definition of crisis? John F. Kennedy is quoted as saying of crisis, the Chinese use two brush strokes to write the word crisis. One brush stroke stands for danger, the other for opportunity. In a crisis, be aware of the danger, but recognize the opportunity. Now, that's pretty popular in Western culture to break the Chinese symbol down that way. The Chinese word for crisis is comprised of two brushstrokes. The first is danger, and the second is more accurately interpreted as change point. But I think both are valid, because to me, an opportunity is a change point, whether that can be personally or in societal crisis. I first became aware of the analogy of danger and opportunity when I was working with at-risk children in the foster care system of Colorado. And that's kind of where my first fascination with the psychology behind how we deal with crisis and how we react in crisis. And I had quite a bit of training on how to deal with people, especially vulnerable children, who are actively in a crisis or who are coping with the emotions that go along with crisis. So I hope to bring some of that training and some of that insight that I've been able to pick up and bring it into the conversation here today. So now let's look at the emotions within the danger and opportunity of crisis. So the one thing that I think we all experience during a crisis or a tragedy is feeling alone. It doesn't really make sense to feel alone while everybody else in the world or the country or your state or community is going through the same thing. But feelings of anger and shame are isolating. Feelings of sadness are isolating. And that can make us feel not only separate from everybody else, but separate from our normal selves. Regardless of why you feel alone, feeling alone is devastating. It's imperative that we understand that this is something that is true to our human nature. Julianne Holt-Lundsted, who is a professor of psychology at Brigham Young University, says, Just like hunger signals us to eat and thirst signals us to drink water, loneliness is thought to be a biological drive that motivates us to reconnect. Where we lack proximity to trusted others, our brain and body may respond with a state of heightened alert. 
This can result in increased blood pressure, stress hormones, and inflammatory responses. So that's pretty heavy. And if you're dealing with loneliness and you're feeling that physical reaction, if you're feeling that anxiety on top of loneliness, that can be a scary thing. And I want you to understand that that is very real and it is very primal. It's a primal need to connect and be in community, especially during crisis. It's that herd mentality. So the sticking point of this um, situation, for example, that we're in right now with the social distancing of COVID is that it goes directly against what our primal need is and our primal instinct is. It's to not be alone. It's to connect with others. And on the level of a personal crisis, the dichotomy of that primal need to connect versus that withdrawing into yourself that deep grief, sadness, and personal crisis can bring. So feeling alone during a personal crisis, to give you an example, I went through a really bad breakup in my early 30s, and I was very devastated. Looking back, it was good. (laughs) But at the time, I was truly heartbroken, and I didn't have a way to see out of my current situation. And while I was feeling those feelings, I had a very good friend, Kim. Hi, Kim, if you're listening. She would take me out on roller skating dates. She took me on hikes. She met me for dinner. She basically got me out of my feeling alone and distracted me at certain points of my day. Now, I had plenty of time to feel alone and sad, and I had plenty of time to feel those bad emotions. Point is, she kind of gave me a vacation and a mini break from the personal crisis and tragedy that I was going through. So while it may not seem like the best idea or something you want to do, let your friends and family distract you. Let them be silly with you. Let them make you laugh because that's part of going through a heartbreak or a personal tragedy. Part of it is healing and part of it is living your life and continuing to be the person that you are. So while friends and family can be helpful during a personal crisis, during a societal crisis, Try to embrace the humanity and try to embrace what makes us all alike. Because in a crisis, society tends to be divisive. It can feel really hard to feel transparent and safe with everybody in such upheaval. Mr. Rogers says, look for the helpers. And I think that's a really good quote because there are people out there who want to help and who want to do good. So during crisis, if you feel alone, cling to those people that you know will see you and with whom you can be transparent. Now, I don't have a quick fix for feeling isolation and feeling loneliness. Obviously, I don't have a quick fix for society when society is in crisis. But I can tell you that it does help to look to the helpers and it does help to reach out and understand that we're all human, and to understand that it's perfectly normal to want to reach out and to need people in society. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of what is primal and what we're used to using as an asset and an advantage. Roxanne Cohen-Silver, who is a professor of psychological science, medicine, and public health at University of California, Irvine, reminds us that Although we've weathered mass violence, we've weathered natural disasters, 
including the September 11th terrorist attacks, the Boston Marathon bombings, the Orlando nightclub shootings, Hurricanes Irma and Harvey. Our research tells us that most will get through these situations. Humans are quite resilient. The second emotion I wanted to delve into here is the feeling of shame. Merriam-Webster defines shame, the emotion of shame, as a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. So I want to touch on the feeling and emotion of shame that we feel in a crisis, and hopefully by presenting you with a personal example, I'll be able to help you go through that feeling of shame (laughs) with somebody, because shame can also feel very isolating. To give you a personal example, I struggled for many years with fertility. My husband and I, unfortunately, were never able to have a child, which really sucked. I mean, there's no easy way to put it. It was horrible. It was painful. We had many tries, many attempts, and many disappointments, and it was really a rough few years of our life together. And everything we tried to do, nothing worked, and there were no answers, and there were no reasons. And that was a really hard thing for me to experience. And I dealt with a lot of shame. But the biggest shame point for me during that personal crisis was I, up until that point, had been living in blissful ignorance as to this kind of pain. I had kind of had a cavalier attitude toward being able to have children. I had thought that I could decide when I had kids and how many and if I wanted to and if I didn't want to and who with. I had been living in blissful ignorance, not being aware of the struggle that can be involved in fertility issues and fertility treatment, not being aware of the pain that others go through during this trying to make your body work, trying to have a child. To just be aware of that kind of struggle that women and men go through trying to have children, I was never aware of it. I felt so isolated and so alone and so ashamed and angry. If I had encountered somebody who knew exactly what I was going through, somebody who could reach out and tell me, I know what you're going through because I went through that and it's horrible and it sucks. I didn't have a person in my circle that had gone through that. I had plenty of friends and family who had kids, but nobody was able to reach out to me. So knowing that, And going through that shame, oh, it sucked so bad. But what I know now is that if I ever meet somebody who goes through that, I have that empathy. I have that, that I can look back on and go, oh my gosh, I know exactly what you're going through. So if you have some kind of shame that's going on with you in a personal crisis, just know that someday that can be used for good and that can be a benefit to help others. And I know it's not a quick fix, but it might help you get through it. And the good news is, now that I know, that shame is pretty much gone. I don't really feel ashamed anymore. Now that I realize that that's what people go through, and now that I realize, you know, I'm not the bionic uterus that I thought I was, I can't decide whether or not to have kids. That shame is gone. And in its place is empathy and love for anybody that ever has to go through that. So I'm not saying that you should ignore or devalue your feeling of shame. Sit with it. What is it trying to tell you? What is it trying to show you that you didn't realize about the world before? How can it change you into a more empathetic person and a more loving member of society?
Now, shame can also be used as a verb, and that can mean to cause to feel shame or to force by causing to feel guilty, according to Merriam-Webster. And that kind of shame can also apply during a societal crisis. Many times a societal crisis will polarize individuals, and there can be, especially on platforms such as social media, where people can shame one another and cause one another to feel shame because of disagreements or polarizing opinions or actions. To give you an example of COVID-19, there's a lot of shame and blame over mask wearing. It's kind of a polarizing argument right now. Those who feel that everybody should be wearing masks and they work, and those who feel that they do not work and people shouldn't be required to wear masks. So with that shame, how can we use it to learn? How can we use it to propel ourselves through this crisis and benefit from it and come out on the other side? It's really hard to feel shame and not feel defensive. And it's really hard to see shame as a tool. Again, I don't have a quick fix and I don't have a quick answer, but what we can do is turn that shame into compassion. In society, we can use that shame to look within ourselves and to say, I was ignorant. How can I learn? Where can I go to learn more about this pain that people experience? What can I do as a member of this society to make it better? Now that I know that this pain exists, now that I know that this struggle exists, what can I do to help? How can I make the world better? How can I participate more in this society? What can I do to be a better person? How can I be more loving? These aren't quick fixes, but they are a good way to deal with shame and to use shame as a tool. Don't ignore your shame. Sit with it. What is it trying to tell you? What blissful ignorance is it trying to point out within you? As far as others shaming you, understand that their anger comes from a place of wanting something to change. Hopefully you can love them through it, or at least kind of ignore them until the crisis is over. The third emotion that I wanted to touch on when we're in times of crisis is anger. Anger is an interesting emotion to me because it gets a bad rap. <laughs> There's a lot of emphasis in our society, especially as women, don't get angry. Ugh, I get angry just thinking about all the things that I'm not allowed to be angry about. So anger does present a challenge because it's something that we often feel probably more than we'd care to admit. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about trivial anger. I'm talking about deep feelings of anger and frustrations that we feel when we are encountering a personal crisis or tragedy or when we turn on the news and are dealing with something as a society that angers us. Anger is a secondary emotion, and usually it's covering up our fear, which can then circle back to feeling alone or feeling out of control or out of sorts. So anger is tricky. So when we do experience anger, don't try to turn it off. It actually is normal. So how do we react in anger in a positive way? It doesn't mean that we get on the internet and blindly hate comment about how somebody's handling a crisis wrong. It doesn't mean that we're lashing out at our friends when they're well-meaning, but they say the absolute wrong thing that rubs you the completely wrong way. You know that kind of phrase. And you hate yourself for being mad at them, but you can't help it. William Shakespeare in Othello says, men in rage strike those that wish them best. And I think we've all experienced that at some point. 
We may not choose to react in that anger, but what we can do is hang on to it and we can let it fuel our fire and do something to change our lives. Sometimes you have to just feel the anger and the point of the anger is for you to feel. And that's a hard one because it doesn't feel productive and it feels like you're stuck. Sometimes anger can help us as a society move forward and change. And I'm talking about righteous anger. I'm talking about you're so angry that something happened and you're so mad because that was not right. I can react in anger and say this is not right. On the difference between anger and bitterness, Maya Angelou says, bitterness is like cancer. It eats upon the host. But anger is like fire. It burns it all clean. So being angry isn't a danger. But having that anger turn into bitterness can really eat you alive. So now that we've covered the feelings of loneliness and shame and anger during a personal or societal tragedy or crisis, how do we move forward? How do we use these and move forward in a logical, rational, and effective way? How can I use this empathy to connect with people and to help others and myself not feel so alone in this crisis? How can it motivate others? How can it make the world a better place? How can you use your talents and your platform to enact change? It's very easy to shut everybody out or to stop talking because of shame and anger and feeling alone. It's actually my nature to shy away when things are in societal crisis because I am terrified of saying the wrong thing. Me, loudmouth, podcaster, blogger, I am terrified always of saying the wrong thing. And I'm sure I have said the wrong thing once in a while. Everybody does, but I can't let that stop me from having a voice and from continually trying to connect others and to connect myself with others and to be an active and functioning member of the society in which I live. I like to start in my personal circle. I like to ask my friends and the people I spend time with, how are you feeling during this? What are your thoughts? And I don't like to get into a debate of, do you think this is right or wrong or who's to blame or blah, blah, blah. What I like to do is listen. So if you're silent because you're terrified of saying the wrong thing, it's okay. You might get shot down for it. You might get called out for it. If you say the right thing, people might ignore you. The point is to not be silent because when people are silent, people are isolated. They get angry, they get shameful, and they get depressed. Benjamin Franklin once said, the best thing to give your enemy is forgiveness. To an opponent, tolerance. To a friend, your heart. To a child, a good example. To a father, deference. To your mother, conduct that will make her proud of you. To yourself, respect. To all others, charity. After we embrace the people in our immediate circle, can we affect further change? Can we affect deeper change? Can we be responsible with what we say in public, what we post online? How can we use our platforms and our voices if it's a personal crisis, how can you move forward? If we're willing to do the work, loneliness, anger, and shame can be turned into connecting and driven action to make our society better or to push through and get through our personal crisis. If we're willing to do the work, 
a personal or a societal crisis can be used as an opportunity or a change point in spite of all the danger. I want to leave you with a quote by Eckhart Tolle from A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose. When faced with a radical crisis, when the old way of being in the world, of interacting with each other, and with the realm of nature doesn't work anymore, when survival is threatened by seemingly insurmountable problems, an individual life form or a species will either die or become extinct or rise above the limitations of its condition through an evolutionary leap. And I hope that this crisis can be your evolutionary leap. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please drop me a line at berettafleur at icloud.com, B-E-R-E-T-T-A-F-L-E-U-R, I'm always happy to hear from you on what you would like to talk about next. Please visit my website, berettafleur.com. Thanks so much and enjoy your experience. <laughs>